Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and all the things related thereto. Uh, today, I'm really excited to have David Feach, uh, who is an author, speaker, student. Uh, he comes out of uh, infantry school and is extensively involved in leadership coaching, uh, which I really want to talk about today. And he's got some really very interesting ideas about uh, culture compliance versus culture and david i'm really thrilled to have you here hey mark i'm very excited to be on your on your podcast thanks for having me on yep so before uh before we get going why don't you tell people how they can get a hold of you i don't want them to listen all the way to the end before they get to that so tell them how to get a hold of you now okay my uh, uh website is uh davidveach.com um so uh, it's d-a-v-i-d-v as in victor double e-c-h.com um, there's some free downloads on there they can get access to, like a free copy of my problem-solving book. Um, you can email me at david.beach at leadersites.com, and that's uh, leadersites, S-I-G-H-T-S, kind of like insights, uh, .com. Um, and I'd love to hear from them. Great. Well, I want to talk about uh, problem-solving, but uh, give people kind of an overview of what you do and, and your practice first. Okay, um, I am focused primarily on leadership development, and the thing that I want to develop most in leaders is their ability to relate better with their employees so that they can create better work so that people love coming to work. Great. So I've got uh, the three main things, the three main decisions I want leaders to make every day. Uh, one, you have to love your employees. You have to love the people you're working with. You have to love the work that you're doing. Two, you have to constantly learn. And three, you've got to let go of trying to control everything and let your people develop. Uh, so I, that's, uh, I coach folks to, to get through that. I, I absolutely love that. And I would expect no less from uh, somebody who'd been in our armed, armed services that um, there are a lot of leaders that don't know that one of the most important leadership traits is to know when you need to be led. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, we leadership sometimes means being led and being a better follower. Yeah. Uh, and knowing when, uh, really important. And then letting go. Tell us about that. Well, we see an awful lot of people who have this need to control everything. I mean, it kind of comes with the human nature. We all have this inner kind of closet control freak, but the more we try to control in a complex organization, uh, that generally shows up as uh, annoying micromanaging. And when you're micromanaging, you're not really effective because you're not doing leadership tasks. You're doing typical work that you ought to be empowering people to do. Yeah. So I see an awful lot of leaders who, who say, yeah, I'm going to empower my folks. And they give their people an opportunity to do something that they're responsible for. And, and let's say they don't get the result that they were expecting or they don't get the same kind of quality that they could do themselves the natural tendency is for them to jump in and say, well, screw it. I'll do it myself. 
I know I can get it done right, and I know I can get it done quicker than anybody else, so I'll just do it myself. And they keep doing that, and they overload themselves with tasks instead of allowing themselves to develop their employees to fulfill those responsibilities and then lead instead. So if you're always working, you're not leading. Yeah. Um, that taking it on yourself doesn't scale. No, not a bit. <laughs> and um, it's actually a great way to uh, top your career out is uh, if, if you're taking on the, the work of your span of control, eight people, and you're consumed, uh, you're not going to get to the next level where you're taking the span of control over 36 people. <laughs> well, you're, you're liable not to get anywhere. I mean, you can go crazy pretty quickly. Everybody's crying about how busy they are, and we're busier than ever before. So this would be a good way to be less busy, but then I want you to get busy focused on developing your people instead of doing work for people. Yeah, that's really important. So I'm going to hit you with something from my book. Um, radical radical value and i make the case and i'd like you to react to this i make the case that we need to give everybody in the organization no matter what role you are a straight line of sight not just to the customer but to that magic kernel within the customer customer perceived value and if we give everybody that line of sight and say you're responsible for improving growing knowing uh, developing that value, people have a, a different idea of what their job is and what they should do. And you can, you can let go if you know where you want them to head. I could not agree more. Um, what I talk to people about is uh, creating work that's satisfying. And there are three big components to satisfying work. Uh, the first one is meaningfulness. Yep. And meaningfulness has three additional parts, uh, significance, variety, and identity. Yeah. Uh, one of the best ways to get more significance into the design of the work is to tie them closer to the end users of the product so that just like you said, they understand exactly what the customer value really is. Yeah. Uh, the more, the more closely we can couple people to that customer, the higher, the reported satisfaction scores are. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I completely agree. I think the general discipline of leadership, leadership coaching, leadership development is uh, really important. And I'm going to oversimplify the way I think about it. And that is a lot of it is how to lead. And I, my book is all about where to lead. And I don't want to minimize the importance of how but if you also know where, the how becomes easier and becomes more effective. Um, if, Absolutely. If you, if you only do where without the how, you're going to fail. If you do the how without the where, uh, you can wander aimlessly. So you, they, they need, you need both. Uh, but I'm, you know, my, my concentration is on the where. Well, and I would jump in and say uh, you need a healthy dose of the why as well. And the ah. customer value also provides that. Very good. Uh, another thing that I've, I've seen is um, I'd love to have you comment on is kind of some levels of evolution in an organization. They start out uh, with the founder's vision. I call that living the founder's vision. And we have a really great idea of what we're doing and what we're doing for customers. And then, 
the company grows up and disciplines itself and gets some processes and professionalizes and you become this generic for-profit enterprise and yeah. people go to MBA school to learn how to organize this and turn it into a, that, that company. But if we're not careful and if we haven't kept customer value focus, uh, we can fossilize into the third kind of organization. And I call that the for process organization. We're no for longer process. for process, right? We're no longer for profit because nobody knows how their job ties to profit. But I can give you this process. I'm going to put you in a cube with this chute that comes into your cube and something's going to shoot into your cube and you're going to do this to it and put it out that little hole over there. Uh, that's your process. And yeah, I think that's a tremendous problem in workplaces right now is we've designed work like that. And so we aren't engaging our employees. We aren't taking advantage of the creative brilliance that they have at work. And yeah. we aren't giving them an opportunity to be as productive as they want to be by limiting that and saying, here's your job. Uh, instead of saying, here's where we're starting. Tell me how you can make this job better. Yeah. Uh, what can we do for you to make this job better? Uh, and I mentioned, I mentioned variety and identity uh, a little bit earlier on satisfaction, right? Yeah. Um, that's the easiest way to give people a variety of, 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 of things to do at work by designing it into the work. Okay. So that maybe there are four different jobs we teach people how to do is, the, and they rotate them through. Uh, trying to keep their brains stimulated. And then we've got, once we stimulate those brains, we've got to have a system that allows them to express those ideas or yeah. share when they're having problems succeeding in that plan so that then we can either uh, intervene and help them solve the problem, yeah. not solve it for them, but help them solve the problem and then take their idea and use that to develop their thinking skills so that they can evaluate their own idea instead yeah. of sending it off to some, black hole engineering management yeah. steering committee kind of decision that says, Oh, this is a good idea or not. If it, even if it's the crappiest idea you've ever heard, you can use that as an opportunity to teach people how to think better and it becomes a great learning tool. Yeah. People one of really my fired up about their own ideas. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, um, uh, I had a manager that used to, uh, <laughs> he always used to complain about seagull management. I'm going to fly over to your place. I'm going to drop, you know, drop a turd and then fly home. Um, That's the consultant message, right? <laughs> but and then squawk a lot, crap all over the place, and then leave, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, one of the things, though, that I, I've noticed is that when you start organizing for process and putting people in organizations and, and silos, um, anthropology, basic anthropology takes over and people in silos organize and start thinking we, they, and, Absolutely. and so one of the great things about specialization is efficiency and specialization and deep domain knowledge. And one of the bad things is specialization and deep domain knowledge. Uh, <laughs> and that we start making up this thing like an internal customer because somebody doesn't have a view to the real customer. Um, something I just, that really grates on me. Well, I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but um, I, I also want to encourage people to understand who their internal customer is and how they can best serve that internal customer. But you're absolutely right. We can't just focus on the one internal customer. We always have to keep in mind uh, that the significance comes from that user, that outside customer, that person who really is, is engaging with us to buy a product or buy a service, 
Um, that is what drives that significance. But what drives uh, effective organizational relationships is understanding who your internal customer is and then understanding their value proposition as well and then designing your processes so that they can consistently satisfy that value of that internal customer as well as the um, external customer. Yeah. And that's how we drive process improvements. What, what I worry about similar to what you were saying earlier is, is we, we lock these people into this box uh, and we don't even give them an opportunity to, you know, and I've heard this think outside the box forever. It's because we're so good at, you know, startups, they're all free and easy and freewheeling and doing whatever it takes to get anything done. And like you said, as they grow up, they start building these structures. They start building these walls. They start building their freaking box. And then they wonder why they can't get out of the box that they put all these rules around and conditioned all of their employees to follow the rules and comply with the rules and do what we tell you to do. Don't go beyond and then we lose all of our sense of creativity. We learn, lose all of our sense of freedom. Yeah, I, I, there's been versions of it. I have my own, my own version of this quote is that every process that made you good at doing something made you bad at doing everything besides that. that and, that's right. And, and you have to now, as a leader, you have to realize what you just made your company bad at. Well, maybe you care, maybe you don't. Maybe you won't care until a coronavirus hits and suddenly you found out what, what flaw you engineered into your system and you have to have the courage and the flexibility to say, that's why I shouldn't have done it this way. Or well, I think, now I think that's why we It takes a lot of courage. Yeah. And, and uh, one of the things you have to be most courageous is about is, is admitting when you've screwed something up. Nobody yeah. wants to do that because they're, oh, I'm afraid of the consequences. So we, we don't own up uh, and we'd rather blame somebody else. But uh, I mean, the, one of the yeah. cores of, of loving behavior is, is owning up. Uh, that's yeah. There's, there's been a lot of um, behavioral economics, uh, almost even Nobel prizes won on the idea of understanding how organizations and people behave differently than you would expect from a pure economics model. Yeah. Uh, we expect people to dispassionately maximize utility. And uh, the, the reality is we minimize exposure to risk. Yeah. That's way different. Well, and that's, that's where those walls come in. Yep. Absolutely. So we're recording this and, you know, the first listeners are going to hear this in the next week or so. Um, but we are recording this as we speak kind of right in the meat of, uh, COVID lockdown. Um, yes. we're, we're recording this on a Monday when, uh, the Sunday news shows they came out with, this is Pearl Harbor week. So we are, um, in the shadow of, we are literally in the shadow, uh, of impending something and we don't know what it is. So right now people are stressed and people are wondering what do I have to do different? And I'd love to get your perspective. Um, certainly there's kind of a short term tactical let's, you know, all of the SBA PPP loans uh, have come out and you've got to get on top of that and get your name in so that you get financial stability. But yeah, 
getting a loan between now and, and 10 months from now just means that you've got cash to go into debt. What are you going to do? How are you going to change? How are you going to succeed to get out of that debt? So um, tell, tell me, give me your thoughts on some of the things people can do now in addition to that tactical, let's get you know, financing soda. Well, the thing that I think is most important for us to realize is that since we are dealing with so many people in, in so many different situations, uh, the most important thing that we can do for each other is to stay connected to each other. Uh, and I know a lot of organizations are really um, struggling through their financial situations and they're having a lot of, uh, a lot of furloughs or a lot of layoffs, uh, a lot of bonuses getting cut, a lot of salaries going away. Um, and it's, it's kind of snowballing through the whole economy. Um, and it looks really bad and it is, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay this at all. Um, but one of the things that, that has occurred to me is, um, uh, we have this desire going around that, uh, that man, can't we just go back to normal? Can't we just go back to normal? And um, it's pretty clear that we're never going to be back to normal. Um, everybody's talking about this new normal, and I don't really like that phrase, but I can't find a whole lot more to, to say. What I would encourage people to do is not go back to normal, but, uh, but go back to better. Okay, I want to return better than we were. And the only way we can do that is to stay connected with folks. Even folks that we furloughed, those leaders who were responsible for those folks still should consider themselves responsible for staying in touch with those folks. Um, we've got to make sure that they continue to do things that are going to make them more valuable when we return to better. Um, so can we help them connect with online learning resources? Um, LinkedIn Learning is fantastic. Companies buy that, they can uh, make that available to their, their employees so that they can um, do specific focused learning activities and then have a, a team Zoom huddle or Zoom conference call and kind of review what they all learned and do that pretty frequently. I'm a big fan of a, of a daily huddle for working teams, teams that are still working, but I would love to see people reach out to people that, that they furloughed or that they laid off. Uh, just to stay in touch at least uh, once a week or once every couple of weeks, just to make sure that uh, we're not, they let, they know that we're not just abandoning. Them. I think uh, if people get the sense that they've been abandoned, it's going to be really hard to come back better. That's uh, what a great insight, David. I really appreciate that. That, that was worth, that was worth the entire podcast right there, that insight. Um, so thank you for that. I, um, I've been putting out an offer that, you know, I see the world through value goggles, right? Everything is about the exchange of value in, in my world. And it, um, I've kind of, as you're writing that book, it, it, that uh, worldview and that set of goggles gets more stronger and strapped onto oh, your yeah. head more tightly. But um, I think that every company in the world has seen their customer perceived value change. Uh, airlines? No doubt. The risk is too high. Cruise lines, uh, Amazon has seen their value change for the better, right? What would we do without our Amazon Prime? What would we and do? And Zoom, without, right? And Zoom <laughs> and DoorDash. Uh, I've got a I've got a client who a small manufacturer uh, who is suddenly awash with all the business that they lost to China over the last decade. Um, 
That's not bad. Right? Um, our, our mutual friend, uh, Jeffrey Hazlett, tells the story of a yoga instructor who uh, started a couple weeks ago heartbroken and in tears because she had to close her studio, but within two weeks found her business up 40% because people need the, the peace of mind of a yoga session worse than ever now and yeah. are, are eager to do it virtually. Uh, that, that's absolutely right. And, and um, I got to speak with Holly Duckworth on her uh, daily mindfulness podcast uh, last week as well. And the work that she's doing just to help pe people stay focused and in the moment, it's just invaluable. I think it'll be a great resource for leaders. Yeah, I think so too. So what I've been doing is telling people, hey, your value has changed. And I happen to also know, and there, I have research that said, you didn't know your value all that well before this. Yeah. And, you know, 78% of boards of director members didn't know the value they provided customers, according to McKinsey Company. And I, I don't doubt that. I mean, and it's, and so we get, we get so busy, Mark, we get so busy that we don't think about that, right? We just think about what we have to do. Yep. And we forget that maybe there's a better way for me to satisfy the value of the customer. You know, I'm a lean guy from, from way back. Right. Yep. And lean, um, if you listen to most folks, lean focuses on eliminating waste. Um, and what, what I try to teach people is, is it's not the, it's not the waste. Yes. Yes. We have lots of waste in, in processes, lots of waste everywhere. But if we can stop for a second and turn our focus to value, what are the key things that we absolutely have to do to satisfy that customer's value proposition? What is the exact work? And then only do that and don't do anything else. We won't have to eliminate anything else. Yeah. Once you understand value, you might redefine what is and isn't waste in your system. That's exactly right. You don't know what waste is until you know what value is. So um, I've been promising, pe you know, promising people a free consultation or you know, if, if they can afford it, feel free to pay me on let's understand how your value has changed. And then let's figure out what you want to do about that changed value. Um, because I think companies in the next 60 days are going to have to figure that out. And as we come out of this thing, that value is going to continue to change pretty rapidly and consistently, maybe not as rapidly as it did in that step change three weeks ago, but coming out of it, it there's going to be a steady change. And as you said, it's probably not going to be back to the, to the status quo pro ante, the status quo before this thing hit. It's going to be returning to something different, hopefully something better. And yeah, and, and we've got to make sure that our, our systems and our people are capable of pivoting more responsibly because customers are going to change. That value is going to change for customers on an ongoing basis. And uh, it would be easy for us to say, oh, my God, now I just need a stockpile of everything because, you know, you never know when this is going to happen again. And yeah, I expect some of that behavior for a little while, but what we really need are responsive systems and processes yeah. that can only be created by creative people. So once we're finished with the leaders trying to pinpoint that new value, I would encourage them all to get all of their people engaged in trying to figure out how to do that. Not, I mean, you don't have to have all the answers yourself as the leader. Yeah. Think through it tee this up and then let your, let your workforce help you satisfy that, that value proposition. 
David, I, I couldn't agree more, but I want to go back to one key word you said in that, and you said responsive. And I was going to use the word agile. Um, it's, it's not agile as in the development. I, you know, responsive is the adjective. Agile, sometimes some people think of is uh, a software development methodology. Yeah. I mean, I mean agile in the adjective sense, right? Um, yes. Being able to develop those systems and not systems for doing the same thing over and over, but systems that are flexible enough to be adaptable and people and cultures that are flexible enough to be adaptable. So your cross-training uh, discussion that you had earlier, that's really important. Understanding where we're going, what customer value is, so that when we change something, or when we decide to not change something, right? Every day we're deciding not to change our processes. That, that's exactly right. Now, one of the things I wanna, I wanna just to throw a little note of caution. Um, one thing we absolutely have to be able to do is we have to develop uh, our employee skills. And that includes our leadership skills. And the only way we can really develop skills is through repetition. And if we don't have a stable kind of process, then we can't get that repetition and our skills really don't improve that much. So in my, in my organizational model, I, I call it the leader sites framework. It's in my, my book, leader sites. Um, the foundation piece of that excellent organization is something I call dynamic stability. So we have to have this foundation piece. We have to understand that um, all of our processes, have to be stable enough so that we can get repetitious performance so that we can build skills, but they have to be dynamic enough that we can pivot and turn on a dime. You call it agile. Uh, I'm actually, I think it's like nimble would be yeah. like a good word for it. Yep. Can we, can we make Jack be nimble again? Cause I got to tell you, I'm, I'm sure we're going to have plenty of candlesticks to jump over in the future. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I worked one of the first jobs out of college um, was with the company that was, they placed a very premium value on nimbleness. And um, the founder of the company 25 years before had written this memo to all employees. This is, you know, one of our corporate values and that memo still circled around the company when I was there. And the gist of it was we develop policies and we develop processes to make us good at doing stuff. But it is everybody in the organization's responsibility to understand what that process is good for. And not only are you empowered, but you are required to stand up and say, right now, I don't think this process fits this situation. Yeah. I, it's, it's not just a request, it's, it's an expectation, it's a demand. It, for, of corporate citizenship in this culture, you question processes. If we all agree that no, the process really should be used, then you go with it. But uh, nobody should criticize you for saying, hey, we're being stupid by following the process here. What a, That's right. What well, a, usually, the, the, usually those things show up in, in the form of problems, so then we have to yeah. decide to solve or not, right? If, yeah. if you say there's a problem and you can do the work every day, but I'm the leader and I say, oh, that's not a problem, um, who's out of touch, right? Yeah. So yeah. we've got to give those employees a voice, not only in, to, in, in saying here's a problem with this, it's not working like it should, but also when they, ha when they have an idea, we've got to be able to, to channel that energy 
and, and actually encourage more people. Um, I think we can have um, a greatly accelerated innovation by opening the floor up to all those different folks who are doing the work instead of just letting, letting the engineering department or managers uh, or the marketing guys set the stage for what has to be improved. I, yeah, I, I'm just, as you were just saying that, I lived, I was, sorry I wasn't listening as closely because I was living through a recent experience uh, of a company that had tried to set up processes replace old processes with new processes set up by managers. Uh, so the processes were designed by people who fashioned themselves and imagined themselves to be great process designers. And every situation that was slightly outside of the, just off the fairway uh, for that process, the wheels came off because, ah, oh, there's yeah. no process for that. And I'm told to, I've got to shove it back into the process and just kick the can down to the next stage in the process until it gets really broken and can't be fixed. <laughs> and, and so uh, customer responsiveness went through the floor oh, because man. we had these expert design processes that the actual people using them knew were awful, but no longer dared to even call out. Like I'm following the process. I'm following the process. And well, that's right. And, and as long as you're, hey, I'm following the spec, I'm following the drawing, I'm doing it the way you told me to do it. That doesn't make anything better, does it? No. So um, the lesson for leaders then is uh, you got to get off your butt and get out where people are. Okay. Yeah. And if you need, uh, if you rely on other people to help design those processes, you've got to get them out there where the people are actually interfacing with customers, where the people are actually doing the work that the customers are buying. Uh, and understand the kinds of things that they're going through. One of, one of my favorite stories is Disney, okay? I'm, uh, I'm a big Disney fan. And Disney has, um, has this requirement for leaders to be re-greened, okay? So um, I went to the park. This was a couple dozen years ago when my kids were still relatively young with me. Um, my, my son had a booklet, a little autograph booklet, and he was getting, you know, like Goofy and Mickey Mouse to sign those things like this. And we're, we stopped for a hot dog at one of the hot dog stands. And there's this guy sweeping up. He's got a broom in the dustpan and he's sweeping things up a little bit. And he looks over and he asks my son, can I see your autograph book? And he looks at it and he says, hey, can I sign it? And he says, sure, why not? And he doesn't just sign his name. He draws this fantastic picture of Cinderella's castle and signs it. And it turns out he's one of the animators who was doing a day in the park to interact with customers so he can stay on the edge with what customers are really wanting to know. Wow. That was fantastic. That's amazing. That's absolutely inspiring uh, for us as leaders. How important is it to have leaders do that now while the world is changing around your organization? I think now it's more critical than ever. Even though we can't go, we call it going to the Gimba. The Gimba is the actual place where the work is being done. Uh, and just because in many cases, leaders can't go to where all the people are doing the work, um, you can get on Zoom and you can talk to everybody on your team. You can have daily huddles with your team via Zoom or Skype or GoToMeeting or Microsoft Teams. Uh, but uh, I really encourage people to do that every single day because you expect people to work every single day. 
And if you as a leader, you don't have a plan for what you want your, what you need your people to do that particular day, then you need to get your stuff together and get a plan made and then help people achieve the things that we still need to achieve even while we're working remotely. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to agree. And then I'm going to remind people of something you'd said earlier. And that is when you're meeting with your team and meeting with your folks and learning what's happening and making a plan, it's not you making the plan. It's you, the team making. Exactly. The plan. Thank you and for that. Plan, and, and so you'd said that before, but I just, yes. I just wanted to uh, push, push that back out to the front because that is an important difference. Well, we got an we, awful lot of these projects and things that we have people working on, they're, they're big chunks of work, right? Yep. And they might take months and months and months to actually finish. And so people get into this mindset, well, I don't really need a, a, a daily update. I can do it every month or I can do it every week. And it's like, no, 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 no. You want people to work every day. How can we break this down? And if you as the leader don't know how to help them break it down, then let them do it. So what are you going to do today? What's your plan for today? What are you? What are your anticipated problems? How can we help you solve the problems? Do you need any help? No. All right, let's go. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Um, I think it's, it's critical that, that yeah. leaders have those conversations with folks. And if you do that every day, then you also say, how did it go yesterday? What problems did we come up exactly. with? And so next time we do this, what are we going to have to do different? Uh, yeah. and, and solve the problem with a question mark, not with an exclamation point. Exactly. And I don't want to, I don't want to forget about the folks who are still working though. I mean, there's an awful lot of folks who are still working. Thank God we got folks who are making masks and PPE for hospital workers and things like that. Um, but uh, several of my clients are actually still going to work every day, work, getting their factories fired up and working some, uh, as long as they're supporting the, the social distancing rules and keeping us safe. Yeah. Um, I think that's great if you can keep on working like that. Yeah. You still have an obligation as a leader to lead your team. If you've got some that are home furloughed and some that are coming to work, deal with the folks who are coming to work, but don't forget, reach out and talk to those folks who are furloughed as well. No, absolutely. I, uh, this small manufacturer that got inundated with, with work that had been offshored, uh, they happen to have a lot of injection molders in their, yes. in their factory. So, um, Luckily, one of those machines is so big that the person operating it is going to be 20 feet from the person operating the next one. Um, yeah. And they get within six feet when the forklift comes and, and you know, takes the finished parts away in a bin. Um, but they are taking temperatures at the beginning of an end of every shift. Uh, when somebody goes out on a customer visit to do a problem solving, uh, they are quarantined. They're working virtually for 14 days before they're allowed back in the factory. Wow. Um, That's good. Is, yeah, it's a process engineer who should kind of be on hand to prob solve problems in person, but no, he's... So, um, and that's going to slowly change, but that is a leader who's figuring out what we've got to do right now, how we can take advantage right now, and staying on top of he you know he uh i own this tiny position in his business uh for some of the advice i've given him over the years but uh he's he's doing it right and there are people doing it right there yes. are models there are models to follow yeah with that uh, with that process engineer who's been um quarantined um he can still join the team huddle every morning absolutely 
get him in there. He yeah. wants to stay. He probably wants to stay engaged as much as they need him to stay engaged. No, he absolutely does. And you know, thank you, Zoom. Absolutely. All right. Well, David, this has been a great conversation. Um, we could probably go. We could go a lot further. So, why don't you give your uh, contact information again, please? Okay. Uh, website: davidbeach.com. Uh, email address: uh, david.beach at leadersites.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Great. Uh, thanks. And thanks everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that value only exists in the customer's mind. And that means that your success is all in your customer's head. Thank you. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.